Welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. My name is Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And we're finally back with you. We kind of took a little uh, hiatus there last week, A little didn't bit we? of a break, yeah. Yeah, that was a, it was a weird week here in the office. We, uh, we had the, the holiday Monday, which is, you know, typically we record on Mondays. And so we had that day off. And then it was, it was you know, it was, a back, it was a shortened week for us, and it felt really intense. We, we decided we were going to record on Tuesday, and that didn't work out. We were going to record on Thursday. That didn't work out. And so sorry about that. For those of you who were stuck listening to that like bottom-of-the-barrel podcast that you only get to when there's nothing else, um, our, our apologies. But we're back, and, you, and we're here, and uh, we're excited to be back in the studio recording today. I guess that's part of pastoral life, right? Sometimes it's... Uh you're overwhelmed. A lot of times, quite honestly, it's, I'm not going to say boring, but it's very routine. Uh, There are activities we just normally do. We normally participate. The week is structured. And then all of a sudden you'll have a week when everything happens. And yeah. 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 I remember when I first started, I was chatting with uh, the senior pastor. I'm like, what does an office day look like? Because that's... yeah, they don't tell you this stuff in seminary, right? Like right. you just, they give you all that theology. We've talked, you know, we've been here a bit, but they give you all of that theology. And, and I was happy my seminary experience had all this extra stuff on leadership, which you, you know, you don't always get. But then once I unpacked all my books and sat down in my office chair, I was like, what, what do I do? And I remember going to the senior pastor I was working with at the time and saying, hey, what is it? What, what happens in here? Like, what do I actually start doing? And he's like, don't worry, it'll find you. And, uh, and, and it, it, does. it does. It does. Yeah, like, just enjoy the quiet because it's it's not going to last. And you have these weeks where I, I've said this to, to people who have asked. Like, I have weeks in uh, in pastoral ministry where I have like twenty hours of work, and and I'll just kind of sit there in my office. I'll catch up on some reading, um, I'll have some conversations with people, but there's just not a lot to do. And I. There, I, I early on I would get kind of frustrated in those weeks. Like, what else? What else is going on? But now I've kind of learned to just cherish those because they don't last. No, because on the other side of that are the 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. Um, so yeah, so last week on a shortened week, and this is when it usually happens on these shorter weeks. It was a, it was a busy one. So and the funny thing is, uh, now we're we're at a point where we're pretty much pre-COVID it, at Marsh and. Uh, we had cut our office hours back uh, just to try and, and manage that a little bit easier. And last week, with the shortened week, we still expanded our yeah, hours. Yeah, back our, to our pre-COVID we, office hours. Yeah, we came back to didn't. our pre-COVID office hours, which uh, that just meant we were working here in this building instead of you know working someplace else. But. Right. It's still, it, it still was a crazy week. Yeah, it was. So here we are. We're starting off our week with you, and we, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. We started, last time we were together, we started a new segment in our, um, in our podcast. We call it, was it the theolo- Theological Word of the Week? The Theological Term of the Week. So, um, yeah, so we're back to Theological Word of the Week. What do you have in mind for this week? What is the Theological Word of the Week? Uh, the Theological Word of the Week is eternal. 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 I feel like, and, and I'm starting with that word and starting with uh, the concept of presuppositionalism from last week, mm-hmm. because I think we should talk first of all about God. If if our presuppositions is that we begin with God, um, then it's kind of unusual for us to go and start with the Bible. That's kind of where... 
systematic theology starts is how do I know God exists? Uh, let's just talk about God and figuring out what God is, and then we'll, you know, we'll move toward the idea of. Uh, so, are you going to go through these ten, the ten characteristics of God? I would love to. Right. That would be That's fantastic. So our next nine weeks, we're going to do those. Exactly. Awesome. Right? So, there's a little preview. Some of you guys who know, who have some Presbyterian background, you're like, oh, I know these. That's yes. great. Don't yes. tell anybody. It'll be a surprise. It'll be fun. So, yeah. eternal. Uh, this one's weird. We're, what's the difference between eternal and. Um, let's say, infinite, or let's say, everlasting. Are those all synonyms? So they aren't. And, and you'd mentioned the word infinite, and that's going to be part of our conversation in a couple weeks. That's another good theological word of the day for, for, uh, for God. Uh, but eternal is, eternal is different from everlasting, and we get these messed up. We, 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 we overlap them quite a bit. Uh, for example, uh, John 3.16, right? We, we quote that verse, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, should be- whosoever believes in him uh, will not perish, but has everlasting life, is what the text says. And we often say that uh, because we've trusted Christ, we have eternal life. Hmm. And, uh, and those are two different things. So here's how, here's how you can envision it, if you will. Um, everlasting life means it is what we as human beings have. Uh, we have a starting point uh, that is uh, our birth or our conception. Uh, that is our starting point. And from that point, we will face uh, human death, uh, death because of our sin, but then we are everlasting in that we will face judgment and we'll either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. So there is a concept of everlasting. Every human being is everlasting. God is eternal. And the concept of eternal is just like we have this starting point. God doesn't have a starting point. God goes forward in an everlasting way, but he always go, also goes backwards in an everlasting way. Uh, the psalmist, I think it's Moses actually in Psalm 90, 90 who says, uh, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Hmm. And, and that's an interesting idea. God doesn't have a starting point. So when we're talking about eternal, we're saying God doesn't have a starting point. He doesn't have an ending point. He is just a, if I guess you could say he's just a continuum. Hmm. Okay. So is the, is the idea of eternity for us a misnomer? That's an interesting question. That's a really good one. I, I think in the fact that we are entering into God's eternity, no, it's not. Okay. We, we are entering, we will enter into his rest, into eternity with him, into the future eternity. Uh, but yeah, hmm. on the other hand... Because you're talking about an eternal, you know, e- eternity in hell, right? So yes, is hell eternal? Has it always existed? Yeah, no, I, I would say that hell is created. Cause, yeah. So here's the thing, if anything is, if anything is eternal other than God, it's equal with God. Yeah. So everything else, everything else is created Mm -hmm. because only God is eternal. Right. Because if you get into that other side, let's say hell is eternal, 
Hey, did you think we were going here today? This is fun. This is pastor stuff, folks. Yes. So if hell is eternal, then the idea, that whole like Eastern religion, yin yang thing makes a lot of the sense. The dualism concept. Now yeah. you're moving into dualism. Right. Right. So both of these forces are eternal and they compete against one another. Um, or they hold each other in balance. But a Christian does not believe that. A Christian doesn't believe in dualism. A Christian does not believe that hell and evil hold God in balance and God holds off hell and evil so that there can be balance. God's not concerned with balance. God's not concerned with balance. Absolutely not. Because he's eternal. He always has been. There is a sense then in which we have to say that God is, and here, here we go into scary theology again, God is the creator of hell. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. He has to be the creator of all of these things because he is, he is the primary origin. He's, he's eternal mm-hmm. and he's the only eternal in the entire mix. Right, right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So here's, here's one of those places where we get into problems with this as, as humans. And that is that we are very time structured and time. Right. We, all of our lives are measured by time. Especially in our culture, right? Like, so there are some cultures that see time more relatively than we do. Right. And then right. there are people within our culture who are more bound by time than others, right? Like yes. You have, I, I, am, I am one of those, if you're, if you're on time, you're late people. And then, but we all have that friend who is running 15 minutes late to church, but they're carrying fresh Starbucks in their hand, right? Like there's, that, so time yes. has some flexibility with us, but we still all are bound by it. All of it, because all of us, all of us have a beginning, and all of us have an end, mm-hmm. at least a, an earthly end. All of us will die, a- and there is this struggle in our human comprehension because everything, as humans, begins. We we all have time, and we all measure time. We all uh, we all comprehend time in, in one way or another. Although it, it's there's an interesting conversation about time because uh, in our current culture, the current philosophy, I guess, uh, of our day, um, time is less important when it comes. Uh, we don't, for example, what I'm getting at is we, we don't necessarily measure our current existence by history. Uh, history, uh, the complaint of many historians right now is that history is non-existent prior to your birth. Hmm. So um, you know, one of my one of my more interesting moments um, at twenty years ago at the uh, turn of the century, the two thousand, the millennium, uh, there was a conversation about who was the most important person um, in the millennium, uh, uh, the millennium of England, and it, this was a survey done uh, of the in the United Kingdom of the English peoples, and what was. What was very interesting is that in the millennium, in the thousand years of English reign that had come before that, which goes all the way back to William the Conqueror and the establishment of Norman rule in in England in 1066, the two most important people in English history for the millennium were Winston Churchill and Diana, the princess. Sure. And that's because... In what you're because if you're going to survey people from a particular era, then they're going to talk about the person 
or people that have most impacted them, not most impacted history. Completely. I, I mean, I remember pulling my hair out and saying, <laughs> Diana Spencer, how can she be an important person in the millennium when you have... I don't know. I've watched The Crown. She's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So th there's so much weight to this. And I think this is one of... Friends, when you see a bumper sticker that talks about how all religions are the same, like if you start to get, get into theology and, and understand some of these things, you get, when you, when you learn the nuance of certain words, then you can start to see why we're different from other cultures and, and other religions. And, and this is a big one, the idea of eternal versus um, everlasting. Because think about this, like if, if human beings are, are everlasting, we have a starting point, but no ending point. That puts us in conflict with other people who are with other cultures and religions that have tried to figure out this sense of continuum. There is a sense of eternity. God puts eternity in our hearts is one of the things that we, we have talked about. And so other cultures, because there is this sense that eternity is a thing and must exist, believe that humans are eternal and they don't have a starting point either. They just have a point in which they die and regenerate into something else. Well, exactly. Now, for example, Buddhism. Buddhism is your hope is to achieve nirvana. Mm -hmm. Nirvana is... It, it's I, a chance to end the cycle. It's the chance to end the cycle. You cease to actually exist. So the objective in Buddhism is to become so good that you cease to exist because then you end all suffering mm -hmm. in your existence. Right. Because you don't exist. Right. So it's kind of like the opposite of christianity there's a lot of folks who get confused with buddhism and christianity like there are some common values right christianity talks about the value of suffering buddhism talks about the value of suffering christianity talks about the value of suffering because it puts us closer to and more an identification with uh, the joy of being without sin in an everlasting existence with god Whereas Buddhism says that my suffering just means that uh, I won't have to pay, for the, pay this penalty in the future, and someday I'll be free of all suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Eternity versus everlasting. There exactly. is a difference. You know, knowing that nuance is going to help you speak more intelligently to someone else who has great questions about your faith, but also kind of informs us too. Our God is eternal and we are everlasting. Exactly. You don't know us personally, right? Like if your only experience with us is this, is this podcast, like we've hinted a bit at um, some of our interests outside of, of pastoral ministry. And here's the thing, like as a pastor, my interests, even the ones that exist outside of the, um, the Venn diagram of pastor, um, all overlap at some point into my pastoral worldview, because that's a piece. Like I'm a, as a Christian, I view the world through this lens of scripture and what Jesus has done in my life. And I also view the world through the lens of a pastor. 
Um, and that includes the stuff we watch and, and, and the, the kind of entertainment that we go after and, and, and enjoy. And recently, we both enjoy Disney things. We, 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 we like being at Disney, which puts us in conflict, I think, with some Christians. That's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. we're cool with that. Um, I understand why you don't like them. I also like them. It's okay. So the, uh, <laughs> we both recently watched uh, a movie that Disney released, Cruella. And I think we both came away with very different um, uh, takes from that, right? Very much so. And, yeah. and the interesting thing is I, I don't think that either of our takes on the movie are uh, anywhere near some of the other things that I've seen written in uh, Christian information or uh, I, there's an individual that posted to my Facebook page a, uh, a review of Cruella from a, a standpoint that I, I just found myself scratching my head and saying, hmm, I guess they don't know the backstory of this movie. They don't know exactly what they're looking at. Uh, but we, we both came away from this movie. We, we both have watched it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we both have different takes on it. Um, I, I'm, I am a, I guess you could call me a Disney file. I, I, I love Disney stuff. Uh, I think you are too. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, we, again, like you said, that kind of puts us at odds with some folks who... Uh, especially looking at current day Disney stuff, just kind of uh, think that it's vile and offensive, and 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 I get that. I I I see it too, but I also find it to be some of the better entertainment. Uh, but we were watching this movie, and and just to preface this, I, this article that I saw really slammed the movie because uh, um, the word devil is used in the movie, and. Uh, uh, you know, she uh, ends up at Hell Hall. Right? She ends hell. up at Hell Hall, yeah. right? And, and 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 that to me was interesting because it told me that that person had no context from the original animated feature that uh, the Disney Corporation put out in uh, 1964. I think it was 1964. Might have been 1965. It was actually Walt's last uh, last. Um, uh, the last movie feature. he oversaw, right? Last animated feature, right, that he came out with. Um, it was actually, it actually hit, I think, just after his death in 1965, 1966. Okay. And uh, the interesting thing is the, the fellow who put that, who was the producer, or the director of that, uh, was a guy named Ken Anderson, who was uh, one, of, one of Walt's famous, uh, famous animators. Um, and he was a Christian. And and that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, uh, Ken has written that he's the the saddest thing in his life is that his last words with Walt Disney were an argument that he had with Walt over the use of a, a new they called it zero graphing. Basically, what they did with that movie is they they basically mimeographed the backgrounds and put the put the scenery on the front so Walt hated that Walt thought yeah. that every single background needed to be hand drawn right it was a revolution in animation that yes. they had pioneered but Walt wanted the but old Walt way Walt wanted it all yeah. hand drawn that changed how Disney did it you're from like from 101 Dalmatians through what the the next era like was like Little Mermaid began the new era. Right, Little Mermaid yeah. starts the new era. Yeah. yeah, so that those all of those movies in between, you have a very distinct like art style, right? Yes, yes. And it's with that like single cell in the background with the moving things in the front. Right, and Walt hated that. Yeah, he he thought that was cheap. 
Uh, and here, here's a guy who's like, Walt was on the cutting edge of just about everything innovative when it came to animation. And, and he hated this innovation. He thought it was cheap. He thought he was, that they were really destroying the frames. And uh, Anderson says that he's saddened that his last conversation with Walt uh, was this argument about, about zero graphing. And, uh, but anyway, that, that movie contains all of these things. It, it Hell Hall exists in the in the animated feature. Yep. And uh, and Cruella's license plate on her on her roadster is D E V I L Devil. Mm-hmm. And uh, and kind of a takeoff of a, a Deville. Yeah. 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 Which, even though it's like a zenith or something. Yeah. Something. Some kind of other. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. And uh, but and her name is Cruel Devil. I mean, that's yes. kind of the idea of the. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And. <laughs> And so here's the thing, and here's here's the thing that is quintessential Disney. Okay. And maybe it's what creates the dissonance in this movie for me. I, I, I will tell you right now, I did not like the movie, but I liked the movie. Mm. Okay. I, I liked the movie, you liked the movie. So go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So so the, the dissonance is, and, and it's a dissonance that has been happening in the Disney Studios productions probably for the last 10, 15 years, and that is... Uh, Walt Disney believed in good and evil. Um, I, it was a, probably a, a good Episcopalian who had some understanding of God, but probably didn't know God. I, I would love to be pleasantly surprised in heaven, but uh, he, he, was, he was a good man, and he had a clear understanding. He had a clear moral con- compass that identified what good was and what evil was. And Walt specified to all of his artists and all of his story writers that they were never to let evil win. Uh, what, he, what he wanted in his movies was he wanted evil, first and foremost, to be clearly, distinctively evil. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to make sure that everyone who looked at the villain knew they were the villain and knew that they were evil. And then secondly, he said that evil could never triumph. Mm-hmm. Evil could never win in the end. He wanted to make sure that that was very clear. So you go back through the catalog of Disney movies uh, from, you know, 1930, 1937 with Snow Cinderella, White. Oh, Snow, Snow White, White. And, and move all the way up to uh, to 101 Dalmatians and even to Fox and the Hound, which was still on the drawing board at the time. There's a clear, son, clear set of evil, and there's a clear villain, and the villain can never triumph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like the, and he was good with evil being really evil and scary. Wanted it to Wanted be very it clear. Be, yeah, right? Because, yep. I mean, the stories of when uh, Snow White is released in, in the, the original the, uh, the theater in New York, I think, where they released it, is they had to, you know, it had so terrified the children that it required extra cleanup um, after, the, after the movie was over because, you know, scared kids. Yes. Weak, weak bladders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this was all within his wheel. Uh, this is something he wanted. Evil exactly. needed to be really evil. It makes sense culturally, too, right? Because we're in this culture, right? 1937, Hitler's favorite movie, one of Hitler's favorite movies is Snow White, which is interesting. Yes. And uh, um, But as, as good Americans, we needed to make sure there's a very clear line of what is evil and what isn't evil. Um, that's where we are culturally, and we're there all the way through the 50s 
And into the 60s, but in the 60s, this starts getting a little It does. Gray. In the 1960s, Scott, yeah. you start questioning who the, who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Yeah. Funny story about that. I, I, was, um, I was a little kid, and 60s, there were still a lot of Westerns on television. And uh, one of my favorite Westerns was a Western about Jesse James. And I had no idea as a little boy that Jesse James was a bad guy. (laughs) And this movie, this television show, did absolutely nothing to dissuade the opinion that Jesse James was a was a good man. He was a you know, he was just a normal everyday guy. Yeah. And Jesse James I remember my mother sitting me down and saying, Listen, Jesse James historically is a is a villain. He's, villain. He's a bad guy. He's a robber. He's a murderer. And I'm like, no, uh, how could that be? And that's part of that blur that starts taking place in the 60s. What year is Robin Hood produced? The uh, animated? The Disney? animated Robin Hood? That's, yeah. that's like 67, 68. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But see, Robin Hood isn't a bad guy. No. Okay, Robin Hood is a... He is a good guy in a bad world. Yes. Right. Right. We, we, we definitely know that Prince John is evil. Right. And the Sheriff of Nottingham is worse. Right. right? We get all of that. Robin By the way, a good guy. There's, there's, a whole, there's a whole like political thing there that people totally miss. Uh, you know, Robin Hood robs from the rich and gives to the poor. Yeah. Uh, the people that he's robbing is the government. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's another Yeah. Topic. So it's not... <laughs> It's not like not you know, the government robbing from the rich to give the, to the poor. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. funny how we've kind of missed that up a little bit. But anyway, back to Cruella. Yeah. Back yeah. to Cruella. So all, this is all backstory. This yeah. is where you're coming from. Yeah, this is where I'm coming from. So I sit down and I watch the movie. And, and the movie, first of all, the movie is very well done, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. It draws a really good story. Um, Great story. Acting is awesome. Yeah. 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 Creates a, a, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, just to give you a sketch. Uh, you begin with uh, a young girl um, uh, who has a, a, Estelle. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Is it? Yes. So her name is Estelle. Of course, that name means star, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, so you have Estelle. Uh, she has an unusual hair color mm-hmm. uh, in that half of her hair is black and half of her hair is white. And uh, Estelle loves Estelle loves um, fashion. And she has a mother who also is encouraging her in fashion. And then her mother dies mm-hmm. uh, in a very tragic situation. Because it is a Disney movie and we have to lose a parent always. Yeah, yeah. The whole Bambi thing, like very early. Yeah. And, uh, and which, by the way, that's because I think that part of that is that Walt also liked that concept because... Uh, he was trying to show that you could overcome your adversity. Right. And the most adverse thing a child could think of. Exactly. Many of us could think of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, loses, loses her parents. Uh, she's now basically a, a street urchin, uh, comes upon two others who uh, t- basically take her into their gang, and she grows up as a villain mm-hmm. as a thief as a villain as pickpocket yep yeah yeah a thief a pickpocket uh there's a moment in her life where estelle attempts to go straight if you will and that doesn't work well at all mm-hmm. and uh she eventually breaks into the fashion scene kind of in an unusual way with a very wicked and evil person 
and uh, who we know is evil all the way through. Exactly. Well, all right. Yeah, that's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So yeah. this is a thing, right? So yes. So we finished this movie, and you kind of are cheering for Cruella, and I think that's the thing that bothers you. Is that fair? Probably. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, and I get that, especially with the background of of what Disney is, and really just. As a Christian, too, like we don't want to ever cheer for evil. And, um, but I watch a movie like this and I think it's, I just, I am fascinated by the perspective of it. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great story to go in and talk about, um, what makes a villain a villain. And this is different because Disney also did this with, um, um, what's your, um, Maleficent. Maleficent, right? And I actually think this movie is different than Maleficent because what the story with Maleficent is uh, a misunderstood person who is made the villain by people who are actually villains by, you know, but they come out as a good story, right? Like that actually, I could see that being more bothersome, right? Like the actual villains when you finish Maleficent are um, Aurora's parents, not Maleficent. Right. And, and there's and this I feeling actually, of all of this, yeah. right? That movie is misunderstood. That really grates on me. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's like misunderstood villain, and we've just cast history wrong because, you know, if there's anything any student learns about history now, it's just that history is written by the victors, and that has influenced how history is interpreted ever since. Right. Um, history is still history. So anyway, so we won't go down that route necessarily today. So anyway, so the... Um, I could see that series. There's two of those movies, I think. I could see that bothering you. Um, but I feel like this one's different than that because at the end of the day, though you understand Corella a little bit better because you, you get this backstory, you're actually seeing her develop into the evil character that she becomes in like the animated feature. Um, and just because I think, just because you have more background on why somebody is evil doesn't necessarily make them good. It just gives better like story to the development of that evil. Um, and uh, and it's, it's just, I think it's an interesting like work on somebody giving into their madness. And you know, to go theological on this, I would say that what makes Cruella um, the evil character that she is is that at some point she has to deal with the fact that she is a fallen, broken human being, and she gives in to the um, the evil nature that is within all of us, rather than finding a way to find redemption from the evil that is in all of us. Right. She 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 is overcome by revenge, greed. Yeah. Yes. Anger. All of those things. Right. Which so I guess this the story gives us some understanding on why she would go that way. Like there, you know, you could even say that there's some mental health predisposition to that. Um, but at the same time, like she still makes this choice to pursue the evil path rather than to pursue righteousness. And honestly, to go even more spiritual on this, we all make that choice and we all go that direction on choosing evil because none of us can choose good without the intervention of Jesus in our lives. And the intervention of goodness for Corella is gone. It do, yes, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So the question that comes out of Corella for a lot of us that we can look at this is say, like, do the circumstances and um, um, the, um, the nurturing of this young woman create the evil? Or is this like a, 
um, something that she's born with that she can't fight. So nature has created this evil. And ultimately, she can't help being evil. So we have to feel sorry for her. Um, and that, that is an interesting conversation. It is. It is. Um, but at the same time, I, as, a, as a theologian, I look at that and say, well, yeah, no wonder. Like, this is where we all go. Okay. Okay. I still didn't like the movie. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that understanding. Yeah. Um, I guess there are a couple of other things I thought were interesting to me about the movie. Um, um, I loved it. I loved the, I loved the, the offset. I, I did enjoy the actual production of it, which was interesting, except that I do have to say, I felt like the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie was laborious, mm-hmm. just really, really difficult to get into. It didn't get really fun until Jasper and Horace show up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It just You're looking at the story and you're saying, okay, I've got to go with this just because it's got to get better. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunately it does, mm-hmm. but that first 15, 20 minutes is just laborious. And it's it's important to the story. Yeah, you need it. Yeah, you do need that. But um, I, I found, so here's one of the things that I thought. I thought it was a very dark movie for a Disney production. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually equate it to uh, The Dark Knight, uh, a Batman movie. Yeah. Very, very much like a Batman movie. Um, in, in fact, you could almost say that, uh, that Cruella is a monochromatic Harley Quinn with, well, maybe Joker. Yeah, female Joker. Which yeah, I guess female Quinn's Joker. Kinda, yeah. yeah, she's not as vapid as Yeah, Harley yeah, Quinn definitely. Harley doesn't have many. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. She's just there. But you, you, get those, you get those tie-overs because, I mean, that shocking black-white hair color mm-hmm. that, um, that, that is her hair, you look at it and it's almost like a black-and-white Harlequin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you get that. Of course, her dress, uh, some of the events, you just kind of feel like, am I watching, am I watching Batman or am I watching Cruella? What 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 is this here? Maybe in the sequel, Batman comes and rescues pe- the dogs. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I again, like, I thought the movie was pretty cool, and I, I really liked where it's going. I'm excited that there's a sequel in the works. I there think is. that it'll be interesting to see that. I'm a little bit bothered if you watch the post credit scene about where Pongo and Perdita come from. Um, mm. That one messes with me a little bit. I'm not sure about that, or if they thought that went all the way through. If you haven't watched, if you not, if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, you should watch the post credit scenes. That's just a thing now. Like, you know, I, I know a bunch of people who didn't know that that existed, and you should just me. always check at this point. <laughs> That's what movies do now. They like it's like doing an encore bit for a band. Like a lot of movies run a post credit scene. You should hang out until the black screen and white letters come out. Yes. Anyway, so there's something that happens at the end. It's worth checking out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it, it'll, you know, we we are introduced to Pongo and Perdita at the end, and I think it's just interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So overall, though, I thought it was cool, and I, I like this. But I, I I get where you're coming from on feeling some discomfort. But I'm curious to see where it goes from here in the sequel. It's true. And you know, this is something. This is something. Parents. It, this is something worth keeping in mind. You can redeem movies mm-hmm. because you can sit and talk with your kids about what you've just watched 
and put it into a theological context. Not, you're not looking to shred it. Well, some things you're going to shred, but yeah, yeah, you're not looking to. You're looking to come up with the the concepts, not oh, that you know she's driving a devil car. That that uh, that misses the point. That's... It's it's more along the lines of what is who is this character? How does this character fit with what we know from scripture? Um, what could have changed uh, that would have uh, addressed Cruella's character earlier? The, those things. Uh, what, for example, what's the power of having? What's the, what is the power of having parents in your life? Or uh, what influence do you think would have happened in her life if her mother had continued to live? Mm-hmm. Or those things are all part of a good conversation that anyone can have, especially with your high school kids, as you're dealing with uh, just about any, any movie or theatrical presentation out there. Yeah, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a skill. This is a developed skill that I think Christians are called to. Here's the, here's the tension. I think a lot of us, like, we, we choose to either be entertained or informed. That's hard. Like, it's hard to be entertained by something and still apply our knowledge of scripture and eternity <laughs> um, to that um, to that mode of entertainment. Like, I think Christian, you're allowed to be entertained by stuff. You're allowed to go and find entertainment and go have fun and and consume culture and um, and just to consume it for enjoyment's sake. That's totally allowed. Yes, but you should also be able to interact with it on a level beyond just entertainment. And especially, like, especially for parents, but I think for all of us, like, we should be able to take, you know, pop songs, or we should be able to take pop movies, we should be able to take um, books that are on the bestseller list, and be able to enjoy them for what they are, but also be able to take them to the second level of how do I process this information as a believer. Um, That's worth, that's worth doing. And don't be so lazy as to just take the surface stuff of like, well, this has a devil in it, it's bad. Um, actually think about the, the, the layers of character building and all these other things and, and have conversations with people around you and develop this. It's a healthy thing to do. Very, very. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, so that's, um, that's a uh, yeah, quick thought on, uh, I don't know if it's quick, but it's a thought on Cruella and, and just co- movies in general. Uh, Kim and I went and saw another movie over, um, last week, week before, time blends together. Um, and we even walked away from that movie, which we really enjoyed, with, like, these moments, like, there was, like, a line or two in that that were, like, ah, oh. they, like, the writers of this movie tapped into, like, great theology, and they didn't even realize it. And that was just fun to, like, have a conversation about together. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we do, we should be doing as Christians, is to be able to walk away from something and, like, see the fingerprints of God in it. Um, even if the people who wrote it and made it didn't realize it. Right, and that comes back to worldview, mm-hmm. you know, and putting, putting your life in perspective and viewing, viewing life through the perspective of, of God, God's plan, what God is doing in our world, and, and knowing that God is active. Yeah. So if God is active, then, you know, you'll, you'll see those blind squirrel moments, as I call them, where where people just backed into something theologically accurate or created something that's theologically dissonant without without even noticing without even knowing it. Yeah. 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 It's fun. Yeah. 
So there are a few minutes left, and I'm, um, we just started a new sermon series, and I was wondering if we could just hit that for a little bit to, to set some groundwork on where you're hoping to go as we dig into the book of Joshua, at least the first part of the book of Joshua. Um, and we're talking about success in, in life through this lens of the first, was it 10 chapters we're doing? Or yeah, we're going to get 11 about... 11 chapters? Yeah, we're going to get about 10 chapters in it. And I just have been interested in the book of Joshua and and applying this concept of success because this book, as I mentioned yesterday in, in my sermon, when, when you get to the book of Joshua, you are at like the high point of Israel's spirituality. Now, I realize that it's not very long into the existence of Israel that you get into this high point, and that's pretty sad that you know, you've got you have a couple of other points in their history where they they rise up again, but they just they just continuously fail forward from this point on. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at it and I said, well, you know, here's this here's this man who steps into this role, uh, and Israel is is at its let's call it at its best, at its peak, and just all of these great things happen, and and some bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, you have I, and you have, uh, you have uh, the Gibeonite story, and, and all of those are in the first 10 chapters. But, but it, it, there's so much success here, and it's the promise that God makes to Joshua in, in verse 8 of chapter 1. He, he just says, follow me, follow my directions, I'm going to make you prosperous and give you good success. And I said, well, then this book is about success. Hmm. Here's God's promise to Joshua, and you don't see God rescinding that. You don't see in in 24 chapters of Joshua, you, you don't see God saying, oh, you blew it, and we're done here, Right. and no more success for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in a sense, you're, I mean, you're seeing the beginning... What makes I, what I what makes Joshua fun for me is you're seeing the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy played out through the rest of Scripture. Yes, right. So you're seeing these blessings. You're seeing the table has been set by Moses and by the the children of Israel who have made it through Numbers, um, and you're you're starting off in the positive blessings of Deuteronomy, and the rest of the Old Testament story is the negative of Deuteronomy, the consequences of sin, which comes because the generation of Joshua doesn't teach its next generation. Exactly, right. And so here's, that's an interesting thing that I was thinking about. Even yesterday, I didn't have a chance to really incorporate it into my sermon, but it it was something that I was thinking about yesterday, and that is, these are are second generation people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I have often heard the, uh, I've often heard the slight, if you will, on on second generation Christians. Like that, you have that... um, you have that first generation. So, uh, for example, uh, my my mom, my mom got saved when she was like 15, 16 years old, and her family was really, really changed uh, by an uncle of mine who had gone to Sunday school, got saved, uh, then basically led the entire family. Uh, four brothers, my mom, five, you know, the five children, my grandmother and grandfather, they all got saved. Uh, just because that one, that that one, her one brother went to went to church, came mm. back and, and taught them all, and boom, they were all saved. It was they were all baptized on an Easter Sunday? The sad thing that this is this is a crazy story. Uh, my um, uncle, who had 
uh, gone to Sunday school, had this life change, came back, basically brought life change to the entire family. Uh, he died on Good Friday of pneumonia, mm. and the family was baptized on Easter Sunday after his death. Oh, goodness. And, uh, but they, the family said, no, this is what he would want because just huge change, and the entire family's baptized together. Wow. Uh, but that, you know, there's that, there's that joy and there's that, that thrill from being saved. Uh, and then here I am, I, I'm basically a second-generation Christian. I, I, I grew up in church. I, I joke about the fact that uh, I, I, was, I was in church the first Sunday after I was born because that's what my mom did. And I had all of the Sunday school ribbons. The, the, my Sunday school pin was equal to my age because I had always been in Sunday school and never missed the date. So one of the issues that comes up is that second-generation Christians are often shallow because they don't have that... Deep conversion experience? Deep, right. They don't have the deep conversion experience, and, and they're never challenged is the idea. They don't, they don't have to be pressed on their faith. And I think that one of the things that you see in the book of Joshua is the opposite. You, you see, you see a, a second generation who have watched their, their, their fathers uh, dying in the wilderness because they had an opportunity to, to trust God and chose not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody over the age of 40 here in, in the book of Joshua, everybody over the age of 40 uh, is um, basically remembering uh, the, the revelation of God at Sinai. You know, and and now they're basically saying to themselves, "We're not going to do what our fathers did." Well, there's only two people over the age of forty when they enter in, right? Is it just Caleb and Joshua who are over well, the age of forty? Well, so you're going to have you're going to have everybody. No, you're going to have oh, sixty. It'd be sixty, 60 right? right? Yeah, yeah, right. Math is not my thing. I'm right. sorry. Yeah, yeah, and they're actually about seventy-five. Yeah, but yeah, so everybody else is basically under the age of twenty at Sinai. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the cutoff age. That was the that was kind of the the point where everybody was anybody over the age of twenty. Excuse me, at Kadesh Barnea. Mm-hmm. So er, everybody over the age of twenty dies in the forty years of wandering, a- and now you've got some sixty year olds who are saying, "Man, I remember God speaking at Sinai, mm. and we're not repeating that problem." Mm-hmm. And you have an entire generation that has walked through the wilderness and said. I have seen the frustration of my parents because of their faithlessness. I'm not repeating that problem. Hmm. So then is Joshua's, gen- the generation that we're beginning the book of Joshua with, actually first-generation believers? That's an interesting, yeah, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, so here's the thing about first-generation believers, and, and some of you are first-generation believers, and... The reality is you come in with a huge load of baggage, right? You come in with all of the, and this was the issue that those people that died in the wilderness came in with, is that they had been to Egypt. They had all kinds of sin. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of the essence of the book of Deuteronomy, right? Because it's saying, you know, no, you can't you can't divorce your first wife so that you can marry your second wife so that you can divorce her and go back and marry the first one again. 
that that doesn't work. That's mm-hmm. not that's not legit. Yeah, they had to kind of de-Egypt the people of Israel. They had to de and and so the first generation um, of Christians, if you if you come to Christ, say in your twenties, you you got some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you you just you just have some stuff, and some of that stuff is just going to hang around with you for the rest of your life. But your kids are going to see your stuff, mm-hmm. and they're going to make decisions that say, I, "I'm not going there. I, I'm not. I'm not going to get caught up with my my, fam, my my mom and dad got caught up with in their lives." Yeah. So it's so the first generation experiences it and changes. Hopefully, the second generation observes it. Right, and that's kind of where we're at with Joshua. Is this generation that has observed the consequence of the first generation's um, tension between right, pursuing righteousness and having the old man kind of still rule, and then that third generation that comes after Joshua has no idea. They've just grown up in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in that third generation is kind of saying, or Maybe it's because the second generation, they, they, they just didn't want to talk about what happened in the wilderness. Hmm, maybe. You know, there, there's no conversation with, with their children about, see, here's, here's what happened to grandma and grandpa. You know? <laughs> right. You know, big right. crevice opened up. <laughs> gone. gone. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. And then trump, closed back up again. They're, they're out there somewhere. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they didn't have that conversation. They didn't, they didn't deal with, hey, this is... These were the sins of your family. Mm, mm-hmm. This is this is where we have been, and this is where they, they were just there. They were they were content with the fact that God is successful in their life. Yeah, we've done this. We've lived this. We've found success, right? Yes. And that's so. It's going to be an interesting thing to take. It's an interesting direction for us to take in the sermon series because we're going to talk about how to find success, but we're going to probably at some point address the failure of those who were successful. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but this is what I liked where we were yesterday with this conversation is, is as an, as an American, I love a good success story. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love a good success story that comes out of adversity. Um, And I love um, like Bambi's mom. Yeah. 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 And I love like all of like those stories kind of capture my imagination. Uh, And I want, I think all of us ultimately want to be successful um, but the idea of defining what successful is in God's economy is going to be a, a worthwhile pursuit here. Because I it think is. a lot of us look for success in world terms, not necessarily in God terms. Yeah, that's an ongoing problem. And, and of course, we have an entire, you know, an entire wing of, I guess they call them Christianity, that, uh, you know, you measure God's blessing, God's success in your life by your by your bank account, mm-hmm. or you know how many G sevens you have, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, that's I, like the fellow, the pastor from uh, Louisiana uh, that I read about a couple of years ago, who was uh, complaining because his church wouldn't buy him the the newest jet. Right, the new private jet, yeah, yeah, because the old one was, and he needed it. Because that that's a cringe, the most one of the most cringy interviews I've ever seen. Him it was trying scary. to talk about why he needed those private jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a uh, yeah, definitely, it, it's definitely a cringy thing for for I think a believer to observe as other believers taking advantage of people to try and 
fuel their pursuit of worldly success. Exactly. When, but there is a difference. Like, you mentioned this yesterday. Like it, I think our reaction to that is often, well, then all people who are wealthy are evil at some level. And everybody who has experienced some form of worldly success needs to be distrusted. Um, and so that's going to be an interesting thing too. Like God still blesses. You can read Proverbs and God still tangibly blesses people who follow him. I think I, I've said this with our, in our student ministry. If you play the game according to the rules of the game maker, it's going to be a better experience. Right. Like Always. If, if you're going to, if you're going to go play a sport, I watched, you know, football started this weekend. And if you're going to play a sport according to the rules, you're going to get fewer yellow flags. You're going to get fewer penalties and you're going to just, you're probably going to have a better chance of winning the game. And, and, you know, I think for Christians, like there is this proverbial sense of if we're going to live our lives through the lens of scripture and make decisions in ways that are God honoring, yeah, there are probably going to be moments of tangible success, you know, a worldly success and, um, and benefit from doing that because God ultimately set up the rules for where we live. Here's something to wrap your brain around, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, were filthy rich. Mm-hmm. I mean... Abraham, Abraham brings in a famine, shows up in Egypt, and Pharaoh decides that he needs to entertain this man. Right. Yeah. He just, in fact, the whole situation with Lot is one where Abraham and Lot are, are it's like... It's We're like both so Steve, wealthy, we can't live on the same street. Yeah, so like Steve Jobs and and uh, and and Bill Gates. You know how do how do we how do we survive in the same state? Mm-hmm. We, we just can't. We're we're gonna have go to, to California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we we have to we have to separate because we we just have too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, again, like all of that's there. So this is gonna be an interesting thing to unwind. And yes. I'm looking forward to this series. Yes, because you know, on the one hand, I, I think that like. You know, one of the most cringy things you can do is, is talk about um, the pursuit of worldly success through the lens of Scripture. Um, and and I, when a pastor does that and evaluates your success based on, like, the, the things that you have in this world, I'm like, eh, Matthew talks about that. That stuff all disintegrates. Um, but at the other hand, God... God does tend to bless people who are faithful to him. Well, Not, always. Not always. Not that's always. Not always. You know, because ne- right next to Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes, so you know that it doesn't always work out that way. But it can. It can. And so it's going to be interesting to walk through this. What is success in God's world and what isn't? What's touched by God's success and what isn't? And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. So tune into those. Um, those, uh, those that sermon series it just kicked off yesterday. You can actually you can stream our services on our website. We have a YouTube page also. Um, so if you're curious about how that kicked off, you can check that out. Um, and then also we, we have this podcast. We're we're here almost every Monday. Yeah. And uh, you know yeah. we uh, we are um, we're hoping that it's an encouragement to you, and it's also encouragement to people that you know. So the things that you can best do to support this podcast, we're not running ads or anything like that. We don't look for we're not looking for financial success off of it. But what would be successful for our podcast would be if the audience grew. 
Um, and so if you can, uh, the two things you can do to help with that are to like every episode you listen to, like rate it um, in whatever app you listen to, and then also share it with people. Um, throw it out on your Facebook page. Uh, it's even more powerful if you can just tell a friend about it and uh, show them how to pull up the podcast if they're not podcast people. Um, share it. We think it'd be an, we hope it'd be an encouragement and connect with us through our Facebook page. That's always a help too. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher, music by San Demetrius, and engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to marshcorner.com.